0: My name's Simon, as full said, I'm part of the leadership team here, and I just gained a new ambition actually. I've decided I want to be a slam poet. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I just want to be one because it sounds so cool, and so I need some training. Phil, help me, help me. Um, we, are, we are launching uh, into a new series on Colossians called Hope and Glory, uh, Phil, uh, uh, um, Paul's letter to the Colossians found in the New Testament, so we're going to be looking at it because as a church, if you're new here, we love the Bible, we love the Bible, we believe it is God's Word, and we love it, and so we want to take some time every Sunday to study what it says and how it impacts uh, our life. There's a book of the Bible called Ruth, and I heard a story about the Bible this week. Um, a guy went to a talent scout, and um, he said to the, to the talent scout, "I've got this dog that talks. It's a talking dog." And he said, oh, well, that's ridiculous." He said, "No, no." He said, "Look." He said, "Let me try. Let me show, let me show you." He said, um, "He said what?" He says the dog. He said, "What's on top of a house?" And the dog said, "Roof." And the talent's like, that's, that's stupid. Every dog can say Ruth. He said, no, 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 hang on, wait, wait, wait. He said, how does sandpaper, how does sandpaper feel to you? And the dog said, rough. And he's like, that is stu- that's, that's the most ridiculous act I've ever seen. And he says, oh, hang on, this is, this is his best trick. This is his best trick. He said, what is the most profound book, according to you, of the Bible? And the dog said, Ruth. <laughs> the talent's said, get out of my office. You're wasting my time. So they walked out, and the guy turned to his dog. And he said, that didn't go very well. And the dog said, maybe I should have said Romans. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But we love the Bible because it's God's word. A true story, I think. Uh, I read it on the internet anyway. So uh, we, we, love, we love the Bible because it's God's word and it, and it says it's of itself that it is God breathed. You know, what the Bible says about mankind is the reason we're different from the animals is that God Himself breathed into us. And it says the same thing of Scripture, that it is God-breathed. If you want the life of God, that same life that came into man, that makes us different, if you want that life in you, it's through the Word of God. It's His Word that's breathed into us. His Word breathed into you changes you on a daily basis. It renews you. And, and part of this series we're really hoping is that uh, it will, we've felt God speaking to us about falling in, in love afresh with the Bible. <laughs> both individually and corporately, renewing our love with the Bible. Of course, we love God, but we love him also because of his word, because of the Bible. And so we want to begin that journey going through Colossians. Let me just read you this story uh, which helped, helped and challenged me. Howard Rutledge, he was a guy who was uh, c- uh, captured by the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War. And uh, they spent, he and his uh, comrades spent seven years in a stinking hellhole. And they were chained up. They said that the spiders were as big as men's hands. The rats were the size of cats that they were living with. And this is what he wrote after the experience. Now the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me, but my hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. There was no pastor, there was no Bible, there was no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life up until that point. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. And so i had to go back trawling through my memory i struggled to remember those scripture verses those hymns all this talk of scripture and hymns may seem boring to some of you but it was the way that we conquered our enemy it was the way that we overcame the power of death around us the bible is not just another book it stands above shakespeare milton dickens every other religious writing these soldiers were not trying to recall Tolstoy. Instead, they desperately tried to remember the words of the Bible. The POWs in Vietnam were, not, were trying to recall the Bible to draw out of the Bible's power to feed their souls in a time of desperation. I have yet to meet a person whose life was in a terrible mess who claimed that atheism suddenly revealed a truth that changed their life for lasting good. Ultimately, the most visible evidence for the truth of the Bible lies in the changed lives of those who embrace its message. <laughs> wow (laughs) that's a man who discovered the power of the bible in a stinking hellhole in vietnam but we have it available to us every day (laughs) freely let's really get into it and let's pray sure as we begin this series lord we we just pray as you've been speaking to us about loving your word with fresh passion of not of letting over familiarity fall away and drawing from its strength and its truth and encountering you in its pages. We pray as a church you would take us to a deeper level as we study through this, this letter, verse by verse. Give us today and give us in this series a fresh passion and speak to us and change us and transform us. As we absorb your word, let us give it out wherever we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read a little bit from this uh, letter to the Colossians and I'll explain. I'm going to introduce the letter, the book, the place it was written to, the people who are writing it, and also we're going to look at just the first little part of it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, to the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always... Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's still bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to you, to us, your love in the spirit. So this uh, letter is written to this church in, in Colossae, and it's called the letter to the Colossians. And uh, if you don't know anything about this time of, uh, it was a, a region of the world that was in current day Turkey. It was then called Asia Minor. And Colossae, I think there's a map on the screen, is right in the middle uh, of that, of that um, nation, of that area. And it's close to a couple of other uh, Bible fr- phrases, um, towns that you will have heard of, cities. Ephesus was about 100 miles away. And Laodicea, which is a famous Bible town that's referenced in the book of Revelation was also about 12 miles away. And so Paul writes to these places. In fact, he'd never been to Colossae itself, as we will see uh, as we go through the book. He'd never visited there, but he'd heard about it from his good friend Epaphras, and that's why he's writing. And the first, first thing that stands out, that leaps out to me from this passage as we look at it, is the power of team. I, I, I don't know about you, if you look through that in, initial introduction, what stands out to me is the power of, t- of team. Team is critical for what Paul achieved and what God achieved in the early church. The power of team. I don't know about you when I was younger, I believed in team. It was me, myself and I, that's a team. I believed in agreement as long as I agree with myself, that's a team. But I began to realise as I've grown up that actually God has designed us to operate in team. We will get the wrong impression if we think this is all about Paul and his words. In fact, he even says, Paul and Timothy, he wrote this as part of a team. Epaphras was a key part of this thing. And you know, I remember when Royden first joined us on the eldership team, and, uh, and I asked him, you know, Royden, do you feel like there's anything we need to, to grow in or I need to change in? And of course, if I ever ask you that question, the correct answer is no. Uh, uh, so that was a joke. Uh, the, uh, I said, is there anything we need to grow in or change? He, he said, Simon, it's about communication. You don't communicate enough. I like, Royden, I thought you were my friend. <laughs> you don't communicate enough. We were talking about a particular thing. And I, he said, yeah, I said, I to, I've communicated about that. He said, how many times did you say it? I said, once. Well, I did it well the one time I said it. He said, Simon, you can never communicate enough. And I realised from that initial conversation, because he wasn't afraid, to be honest, to bring his contribution, to play his part, that team began to form. It's easy, isn't it, to try and form a team with people who are like you. But what you see in this is you see, in our church, we've seen the evidence of it. And you see here in this church, the fruit of a great team, And just let me introduce some of the characters for those of you not familiar. Paul, the guy who primarily is writing this letter. He was a guy who persecuted, he hated Christians. He hated the church. And one day on a pursuit to to destroy some other Christians, he encountered Jesus. The risen Jesus appeared to him. And everything changed from that moment. He took the energy that he was giving to destroy the church to build the church. And if, if, for those who don't believe in Christ and don't believe in his resurrection, you have to actually think about that because it's profoundly important. What made Paul change? You've got to have an answer for that because Paul says it was the resurrection that made him leave everything, suffer, persecution, be killed himself was because he encountered the risen Lord Jesus. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you've got to explain what made Paul and others like him change. So Paul was this kind of hardcore pioneering, carving out churches, signs and wonders, punished, beaten, shipwrecked kind of guy. He was a pioneer of pioneers. You know, he was like the Bear Grylls of church planters, except I don't think he ate quite as much nasty stuff. But he, he, he was out there as a pioneer. And you see Epaphras obviously was fairly similar. He was the one who'd planted Colossae. I mean, he was dangerous in those days. People were killed, they were stoned. This was not for the faint-hearted. So Paul and Epaphras, these were the guys who were doing that stuff. But then you also see Timothy. You see, Timothy was a, a young man, he was actually saved under Paul's preaching and then when Paul did another tour, he he saw Timothy and he'd seen how he'd grown and he said, Timothy, you come with me. So Timothy began to travel with Paul but you see from Paul's writing to Timothy and from other uh, things that we know about Timothy, Timothy was not like Paul. He was actually quite a timid guy. He was quite fearful. Timothy was the guy that Paul sent in afterwards when Paul wanted this church in Ephesus sorted out he sent Timothy to sort it out Ti- Paul was the pioneer Timothy was a developer and I think the profound lesson which we get a good draw from this first part of the, of the book the letter is this that great teams are made up of pioneers and developers you need both you need both working together to build great teams and so I want us to get this point, you, you need the trailblazers, you need people on the front line, you need the people saying, let's take another hill, but you also need the people saying, let's establish, let's strengthen, let's develop, you need both. And we want every small group, we have two types of group: every, small groups which are, are people who are called together to support one another on the mission they're already on, and missional communities who are gathered around a common mission, two types of groups. But both groups actually need pioneers and developers to be effective, to establish, and to build something that will last. And so in Paul's mind, team was critical. And you see it from his other writings. There's a part in another letter he writes, 1 Corinthians. And he says, I "I went to this area, and he said, when I got there, God opened up an effective door of ministry. But I didn't find Titus there, my friend. And so I left it and went looking for him. (laughs) You're like, hang on a minute. God opened up a door of effective ministry. Because your mate wasn't there, you left it behind. That's the importance of team. Because Paul knew he wouldn't be able to build something. He wouldn't be able to establish something. He possibly wouldn't be able to survive without his team. And so he left behind an open door of ministry to get Titus and bring him back so that they could do it together. Teams are so, so critical on this journey ahead for us. And you know, there's a challenge for each of us to work out where where do you fit? Where Where do you play your part? There's a tool actually on our app and on the website called a ministry motivation quiz. I'd urge you to take that because it will help give you an idea, uh, 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 an idea if you're a pioneer, are you a developer? What lens do you see the world through? Maybe you're a bit of both. What lens do you see the world through? And it's as you understand that, you can start to not just draw people who are like you, but also people who are not like you. <laughs> and you can start to get part of a team, and I'd urge you to do that. It's so key for us as we grow together in this next season. But that's just a minor point of this first, but I wanna get on to uh, the main message of it, which is this. Paul writes this, we always thank God The Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Look at this. Paul starts this letter, and it was quite common in letters of his day. They would start with a greeting, which we just read, and then they would go straight into thanksgiving. We don't have that, do we, over here? I mean, people, sometimes we don't even do the hi. <laughs> I get emails that just says, Bleh. I sometimes send them as well. But, <laughs> but in our emails, you know, or, or text, we often say hi, so-and-so, and then we do the body. Well, they did it in, in, these, in those days as well. They had a greeting, but then what we don't do, which they did do, is that he, he goes straight into thanksgiving. He starts the letter before any other communication with thanksgiving for these people. He gives thanks for them, for these people that he's writing to. And he thanks them for for the... He gives thanks for their faith in Christ, for their love. I mean, if you read this letter, you think... These guys are amazing. (laughs) I mean, this is an amazing church. Who wants to join this church? This sounds amazing, doesn't it? I want to join up. Come on, take me back in time. I want to be part of this church. And if you read all of Paul's letters, apart from one, the Galatians who got a bit of a slap before they got a thank you. But but the other letters, I mean, take 1 Corinthians. You read the beginning of 1 Corinthians, you're like, man alive, this is the best church on earth. This is amazing. He's so thankful for them and who they are. And then you get on later in the letter, and there's people in adultery, there's people who are sleeping with prostitutes there's people who are suing each other and lying to each other you're like hang on a minute are these the same people but there's a profound profound lesson here before Paul brings any challenge or any provocation to change he starts with a spirit of thanksgiving he starts with a spirit of thanksgiving and notice this he's not thankful to them he says, "I thank God for you." He is thankful to God. He is thankful to God." Now why do we give thanks? Why do we, we give thanks when, when someone has given us something and this is where it gets really important to understand Paul sees that in this church, God has given him something. They are a gift from God' he views his relationship with them like a gift from god imagine receiving a letter from someone a communication from someone who believes that you are a gift from god to them i mean it changes anything it It changes everything doesn't it doesn't it change the the way that that correspondence that connection is going to go on And these people have caused him grief and some pain, and particularly others, not so much these guys because he'd not met them, but others, uh, and he has to challenge them as well. But in the midst of that, despite all of that, he sees them and he gives thanks to God for them because they are like a gift to him. You know, what I've seen is this. The world is dominated either by a spirit of rejection or a spirit of acceptance. People are dominated by rejection or acceptance. Most people are dominated by rejection. They live their lives through a filter of rejection. We, we reject our spouses, we reject our parents, we reject our kids, friends. We, most of us, are ensnared, particularly before we come to faith in Christ, with rejection. We're born, some of you, that's all you've ever known. You were rejected by your family, you might be divorced, rejected by your spouse. You, just all you've known is rejection. That's the the air that you breathe, as it were. Yet the message of the gospel is a message that you were accepted in Christ. It's the air of acceptance. The gospel message is a message of receiving, of giving thanks, of accepting. Caroline and I are now early marriage were really really struggling and uh, in one of the there were numbers of things that god used to help us and one of them was this message by a guy called jack taylor it was a preach we heard it was on a tape and we heard it together and it so transformed us i want to read you a section of this and uh, it's a long section i wouldn't normally read a quote this long but i couldn't honestly i've tried to put it a different way and i, I couldn't put any better than his so jack taylor is the guy and let him uh, let me give you his words I had an interruption one morning this is him writing a woman who looked like a sight she hadn't looked like she hadn't slept all night she said I can't live with my husband anymore if something doesn't happen we're through I said do you think he'll meet with me she said I think he will but he won't be honest I've never heard him get honest with anyone talking about us before I said well let's see so they came over to my house that afternoon I was talking I said now look let's get honest about this thing George what's the problem he said well she's just dumb He said, I'm amazed that she can live with me this long as she's lived and not be any more intelligent than she is. I felt like he might be getting honest. He says, in essence, she's a big, dumb, fat slob. That's what he said, and she was sitting right there. And I thought to myself, if this isn't honest, there is no such thing as honesty. (laughs) I listened for a bit and I said, George, did the preacher ask you when you got married if you took this woman to be your wife? He said, Yes, he did. I said, What did you say? George said, I said, I do. I said, George, you lied, didn't you? George said, What do you mean? I said, You took her, but you never really did receive her as your wife. You've never really accepted her. He said, What are you talking about? We've been married 27 years. I've been paying the bills ever since. I began to share this principle with him you never really received her as a gift from god you thought to yourself i'm going to sort her out and then i'll receive her i'll get her to lose some weight i'll get her to be a little bit more intelligent and then i'll receive her i said george do you believe your wife is a gift from god to you george says i do i said i've heard you gripe about what god has given you george you've been accusing god of giving you junk but god doesn't give god doesn't give junk the bible says every good and perfect gift is a gift from god George stopped me, said, hang on, my wife is not perfect. I said, in whose eyes is she not perfect? He said, in my eyes. I said, you've been looking through the wrong eyes i said did jesus christ get what he went out to get or didn't he did he succeed or fail did he have in mind bringing sons to the father changing them into his image god sees the end from the beginning the moment we receive christ as savior we are accepted among the beloved we are looked upon by god as holy without blame before him in love he sees the end from the beginning he loves us on that basis he knows how it's going to turn out if you look at your wife through those eyes if you see the finished work and not look through your physical eyes and wonder if it's ever going to turn out all right it will change your attitude to your wife what i mean to say is this george you can receive her on the same basis and that god has received her God saw your wife as holy and perfect without blame in Christ and he in love he received her that's what Paul meant when he said receive one another even as Christ to the glory of God has received you why has Christ received you on the basis that you are perfect no on what basis on the basis that he got what he went after on the cross on your side it is becoming but on God's side it was already done on the cross you look at your wife through those eyes you're going to see things in a different sight by this time George was on the couch almost in apoplexy he said carry on I think I'm getting it. I said, I said, the fact is, George, if she's God's gift to you, she's perfect for you. She's so perfect that even her so-called imperfections are perfectly designed by God to work on your imperfections and you on hers. George cried out, why hasn't someone told me this before? I said, I've only just found out myself. I said, I said George, are you willing to receive her as a gift from God? He said, I am. I said to his wife, now you've rejected him on the basis that he rejected you. Would you be willing to receive him? She said, I will. They knelt before me and received one another. Their marriage was transformed. This is the truth, that you and I were unacceptable to God, but in Christ, he accepted us and received us and gave thanks for us. Have you and I accepted the people in our lives? Have you received them? as a gift from God. Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, before anything else, before anything else, he says, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. When I thank God for someone, I receive them as a gift into my life. I allow them to be all that God has designed them to be for me and me to them. How about you? How about me? If, if, if you're married, have you received, have you accepted your spouse? Have you received and accepted your kids as they are, not as you hope they will be? Have you received them? Have you received, your, have you received your boss? Have you received your work colleagues? Have you received people in God for what he wants to do through them in your life? Have you seen them through God's eyes? You know, this, this needs really deep thought. This is profound. If you think about it, it changed my life when I began to see Caroline in this way. And you think, well, hang on a minute. What about the single mum? What about the single dad? What about if I'm already divorced? What, what about if the, the, this, the, I was abused by someone? What about, what about the, the relationship breakdowns that, in other areas that seem unfixable? What about the, the situations that I'm in? What about the cancer that I'm facing? What about all that stuff? Where does Thanksgiving play a part in that and we haven't got masses of time to look at it, but just let me read you a few scriptures. Acts five forty one. The apostles, after they've been beaten, says this they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. James one verse two Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Ephesians five twenty, and this is the worst one. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ the Christian response to difficulties to persecution to difficult people and situation has in part mixed with tears mixed with grief mixed with sorrow but has it part at the core of it at the heart of it it has this spirit of thanksgiving it has this spirit of God all this stuff must have come through your loving hands and it's painful and it's difficult, but I thank you God. It's like stepping back from the picture and seeing that the dark patches make up part of the whole picture that God is painting. And I've talked with many who've suffered and sometimes they say, I would never have that suffering or have wished for that suffering and yet now I've had it it's changed me in a way that I don't know who I would be if I haven't had it and so it's somehow mixed in with my life and I don't know now would I have prayed for it? No, of course I wouldn't but now I've had it. Uh, God was so there in it and sustained me through it and changed me through it that all I could do is give thanks to him. This is the mystery of thanksgiving and the truth is we often like to say God just just give me the keys give me the keys and I'll thank you give me the keys and I'll thank you but I wonder if part of what Paul had realised was this maybe thanksgiving is part of the key or one of the keys maybe giving thanks to God in every circumstance is part of the key give me the keys to change my friend or my spouse or my parent give me the keys maybe thanksgiving is part of the key. To thank God for the parts that you can thank God for, to thank God for what he's doing in the circumstance, for thank God for using them to help shape you into the image of Christ, whatever it might be, to give some thanks to God in that situation. I believe, and I've seen it in my own life, and you can see that Paul has seen the same. It is part of the key, because the reality is, anyone noticed rejection doesn't produce change? We think if I reject this person or this part of this person, then they'll change. They won't, they won't. Rejection does not produce gospel change in somebody's life. Only acceptance does. That's why Paul wrote in Romans, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. And I know for some, this is gonna take some thinking through and some praying through because of the pain that you've experienced, but I believe you'll see the seed of truth, that in whatever you've experienced and whatever you're going through and whoever you're related to, and particularly if you're married and particularly in your relationship with your parents and your kids, there's got to be a foundation of thanksgiving. I thank God for you. I think it'll be powerful this week even if some of you can go to friends, spouses and look them in the eye. Caroline and I did it. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. It's powerful. Even if you think your marriage is in a strong place, I tell you, it's powerful to so thank God for that person. Your friendships, if you're single, in your friendships, have you ever taken that step to look someone in the eyes and say, I thank God for you? I thank God for you. Something in the, re- the reality of the gospel. And then, lastly, just as, as we land, Paul is thankful in this section of his letter, he's thankful. For the gospel he says we always thank god the father our lord jesus christ when we pray for you since we have heard of your faith in christ and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven he is thankful the gospel he's thankful for the good news and the gospel that paul preached was a gospel of christ who had come to die for your sins and my sins was raised from the dead to newness of life so that i and you might have new life might have eternal life and it starts today that's the good news Man, that's good news. <laughs> that is good news. And that's the gospel that Paul preached. And he says, I thank God that this gospel is at work in you. He thanks God for the, f- the faith that's come through the gospel. Why does the, f- the gospel give faith? When you hear the gospel, and Paul writes this elsewhere, he says, if you realise that God gave his only son for you and did not spare his son, how much more will he give us all things? Man alive, that is the ground for faith right there. <laughs> the God of the universe gave his son, the most precious thing to him, gave his son for you, then how much more is he going to spare? All th- he's going to give up all things for you. That's the ground of faith right there. That's the ground of expecting the goodness of God to pour into your life because he gave up Christ. And so all things are now on their way. And he says, I give thanks for the love that came to you through the gospel. And elsewhere he writes, we love because Christ, because God in Christ first loved us. When you realize the gospel, you realize man alive. There's a whole lot of love to go around. And he says, I thank God for the hope. I thank God for the hope that's alive in you. Faith is the activation of the the gospel. It's the thing that makes things happen. Love is the motivation. It's the reason that we do it. Hope is the destination. And you see in these things, this is why Paul could give thanks in all circumstances because he had a hope that goes beyond the prison cell wall, that goes beyond the broken relationship, that goes beyond any circumstance. He had a hope that reached into eternity where God one day will make all things new. He had a hope. And it's like he's saying in this letter, he's saying in this section of the letter, he's saying, listen, even though I'm in chains, the gospel is free. And it's doing its work in you. And I've not even visited. And he was excited about that. And he could give thanks for that. In fact, at one other place he writes, it's it's almost like I would rather be chained and the gospel be free than me be free and the gospel be chained. Some believers who are suffering in Iraq feel the same way now. They would rather suffer and the gospel go free in their nation, which we pray that it does. And this is our thanksgiving. And you see, it ties it all together, doesn't it? Teams, thankfulness, it all lands in this one place. We are a team together, partnering for the sake of the gospel. And we can give thanks in every circumstance because the gospel is free. And it's doing our work. It's work and it's setting people free. And it's bringing faith, hope, and love into their lives. And we may be in the direst strait and the direst situation, but the gospel is alive. And we have a living hope that goes beyond this life. Into eternity Let me just finish with Howard Rutledge's words. This was the, the guy in Vietnam that I started with. He said, "In their, in their uh, confinement, he said, "I was often cold, I was alone, I was tortured. I was left in pools of my own waste. I was chained in agonizing positions. I was being eaten alive by insects that were feasting on my open sores." And then he writes this: "The God whom we meet in the pages of the Bible." most wonderfully in the person of Christ, speaks to us personally and meets us where we are. The message of the Bible, mends broken lives, and has the power to transform society, not by pointing us to ink on a page, but to the God it reveals. Empty ideologies leave us spiritually starved, but Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and the proof is in the eating. (laughs) He got revelation like that from a Vietnamese prison, and God came in to set him free. He was chained on the outside. He was free on the inside. And whatever your circumstance, that's the message today, a message of thanksgiving, a message of giving away an acceptance because in Christ you have been accepted, a message of giving thanks for a gospel that is changing and transforming lives, and we're partnering together as a community to do it. Let's give thanks to God, shall we? for his amazing, amazing life. Thank you, Father.